Chapter 4 Mordecai Requests Esther's Help When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gates. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for thirty days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. All right. Well, welcome to River City Church, where we don't warm it up. We just jump into worship and jumping into the word today. And here we are in our fifth week of the study of the book of Esther. And man, uh, I just did the sense that God wants to just continue to use this book on a Sunday when it would be easy to go, let's go off and let's look at something else. Let's, let's speak into our current cultural moment, but God's word where we're at right now is going to speak right where we are. And as we look at chapter four, I want to talk today about crisis, the crisis and the challenge, the crisis and the challenge. Because many would say, and the, the word on the street is that <laughs> we have been in a crisis, right? We have been in a, a crisis. And I believe, and I've, I've always believed this, but now I'm really seeing it played out, that what you believe really comes to the surface in a crisis. A crisis has a way, whether it's personal, whether it's in your own house, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the state, whether it's in the nation, whether it's in the world, a crisis has a way of bringing things to the surface. We see those that have a faith, it come alive in a crisis. 
Then you also see those that maybe their faith was not that grounded be shaken and even blown by a crisis. Crisis brings a challenge. And challenge, stepping up to the challenge, will bring a change. Because as believers, we're supposed to always be changing. We're supposed to always be growing. That's our mission statement here, leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. This process of no matter how long you've been a believer, you're changing, you're growing, you're moving, you're moving, you're going somewhere. And as a believer, we're called to move, we're called to grow, and we want to be moving towards God, not away from God. But we also know that there's moments when we do move away instead of moving towards. And, and other times there's this, like we are growing, but it's barely noticeable. It's so, it's so incremental. It's like, you know, slowly moving growth. And then there's these other times, especially in a crisis, where it causes us to grow and issues force us to lean in into what we believe. It's that you cannot stay the same. In a crisis, you cannot stay the same. You're going to land somewhere. There will be transformation. And essentially, where you land in that change and that transformation is really up to you. The table has been set, and, and it's up for us. So that's what we're seeing in these characters, our stars of the story, Esther and Mordecai, is that they're growing, they're changing, they're moving forward. We've been laying the backdrop for this story, and now we're really getting to the to part of it. So we've been talking about this, this empire, the Persian Empire, and King Xerxes, and his wealth, and his power, and his, his just opulence, and his abuse of people, men and women. And then we've talked about, like, that was chapter one, and we talked about uh, his... Between chapter 1 and chapter 2, he went in history outside of the book of Esther. tells us that he went and fought Greece, and he got, went through Greece, and he got, he got defeated. So he comes back. He's defeated. He's depleted. His treasury, he is down in the dumps. His name, his reputation is on the line. So he, he self-medicates himself with sensuality, and he says, hey, let's throw this beauty contest bachelor party where I sleep with a different woman every night until I decide which one is going to be my queen. This is where we meet Esther. She is Jewish but does not tell anybody she is Jewish. And she has won the competition. We're not sure if it's really something you want to win. But she has won this. And then after that, her cousin Mordecai, who raised her uh, because her parents died, he, he actually d- d- steps up and and defends this king who says assassination was not on his life, but he doesn't get any praise, he doesn't get any honor. Instead, his enemy, Haman, is raised to the second most powerful person. And then he's like supposed to bow to him, and he doesn't do this because of their, their family history of these people all the way back in, Old Te- in other parts of the Old Testament are fighting. I mean, it's like the, the Montague family and the Capulet family, right? They just don't get along, and we're not sure why, and he, just, he refuses to bow down to him. And then this, this contempt that, that Mordecai has for him just bursts even greater contempt in Haman. And, you know, Mordecai thinks he's sticking it to Haman, and he doesn't realize the guy that he's kind of messing with is a homicidal lunatic, that he's not happy with just taking out Mordecai. He's like, I'm going to wipe out every single one of your family members. I'm going to do what my ancestors never did and wipe all of you out. So he gets the king to sign off on killing every single Jewish person in the Persian Empire, which is there in Susa and all the way to Israel. And Zeke says, we're going to go do this. What we also saw in chapter 3 was that he did this thing called casting lots of when this day would be that they're going to do this. And so essentially the law is written, the signet ring is put on by the king that this is happening, but it's not going to be played out for 11 months. So Haman probably in his mind said, I got some time to prepare my people for this attack that's going to happen. 
but also Mordecai and Esther have time to awake, return to God, and respond. So this is chapter 4. The crisis is happening. It's there. It's on the brink there. And we see that now God's people from this crisis are starting to respond. In chapter 1, 2, and 3, Esther and Mordecai have been very, very quiet, very timid. Uh, Esther, very unsure girl. Mordecai tells her what to do. She does what Mordecai tells her to do. It goes into the palace. They, the people in the palace tell her what to do. She does that. Then Xerxes tells her what to do. Then we start to see in this moment that something rises up in Hester, Esther, and we start to see the hero arise. Yes. yes? Right? And I think sometimes, like, it's good to remember when we read the Bible that these are not superhumans. They're not, they're, they're not superheroes. They are regular people going through regular life, and this opportunity, this challenge, this crisis, this moment of faith is thrust upon them, and they get to choose and respond how they, like, okay, we're going to respond. We're going to lean into this. And so they're thrown into these opportunities to step into faith. This is where these regular people, human beings, are forced to make a decision, and they come out many times looking like heroes because of their faith. We see Esther mature. We see her grow in courage and, yes, godliness. So if Esther was to be teaching a class on transformation, life transformation, I think that she would say that sometimes God uses a crisis to kickstart a transformation in a people, in a person, a people, a church, a community, a nation. He will use a crisis to kickstart that. All right, chapter 4. I won't read all of it, but I want to go back to the beginning there. It says, When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. Leave that verse there, and we're going to come back to that. You can just leave it there for a minute. So I want you to see this. Like, now he is publicly mourning. He's publicly weeping. And I would say that this is almost like the word has gone out that this is happening. They're all worried about it. The, it says that at the end of chapter 3 that the, everyone was confused. And this is almost like, imagine, like a public protest. Because he's going to, like, to the king's gate protesting this. And like, I mean, he, this decree has been sent for them to die. And he's going to protest, protest it. And now all of a sudden, he's identifying as one of God's people. Up until this point, he had been quiet. It's been private faith. Now all of a sudden, he went from silent to speaking, from passive to active. We see him making this progress. Like all of a sudden, this like, boom, burst. He's up this, like this point. Like now he's like, I'm going to stand for God. Right? Up until this moment. Remember we said, like, uh, that we don't see any faith. Remember we said, to be away from Jerusalem at this time when you could be in Jerusalem is to be away from God. No scriptures, no prayers, no sacrifices being made. Then all of a sudden, he's in front of the main part of town representing a mourning and weeping that people of, of Jewish background did. This timid man confronts, who, who maybe we had worship comfort and convenience now he gets active in the crisis. It says, went up to the entrance of the gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's presence with clothes of mourning. I wonder, <laughs> like, you can't be sad before the king. The king only likes good news. He only likes victories. He doesn't like defeats. Just tell me the good news. Don't tell me the bad news. How many of us are like that? 
right? The, the bad news gets overwhelming sometimes. How many of us are like, I don't want to watch the news? How many of you guys turned the news off this week, shut off your social media, like, I don't want to hear any more. I am so tired. I mean, this, this year, 2020, has been like, I don't want it, but it's like, it's not even on the news. It's everywhere. You can't hide from it, right? It's like, in the past, it's like, people were like, I don't want to know what's going on in the world, like, and so we, what do we do? We get the streaming things, whatever we have, Netflix, Disney Plus, and like, let me just watch a comedy. I want to just escape and not realize what's going on. I just want to flip on economy and check comedy. Comedy? Comedy? Yeah, I can't talk right today. All right. Um, so he only wants good news. And then, then it says that and the news of the king reached all the provinces. There was great mourning amongst the Jews. They fasted and wept and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. Now you see this extending to this greater amount of people, this large group of people that are weeping and, and wailing. And this is like, we don't get this in the West. Particularly men, we don't get this. This grieving, like this public grieving, like something bad happens in this time, in this culture, this place, and you knew it. Like they went and changed their clothes and put ashes on their head and mourned and wailed. And you, you knew that something was going on. They're crying in the streets. They're crying. all Like you knew something was going on. The Psalms, the majority of the Psalms are, are Psalms of lament, right? Words and songs until God, of God's people expressing their grief, their sadness, their hardship. We don't do that. Or if we don't do it well. I mean, here we, 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 what, what is, we, we say, suck it up, buttercup. Life is hard. That's what my dad used to say to me growing up, right? Put your big boy pants on. Get over it. And so then we, we, we buy into this false thing of like we see people and like, oh, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, fine. No, you're not. You're not fine. This guy's getting a divorce. She's worried about having cancer. They're stressed out because they might lose their job. Their, their family is coming to the boiling point because of COVID, and they're living on top of each other, and like we're going, oh, no, I'm fine. Because we don't know how to be real. Because we go, well, well, if I open up, if I tell someone, I might lose it. I might start crying right in front of them. Does, does, does the Bible say thou shalt not lose it? Right? Like, oh, I might get emotional. The Bible does not say thou shalt not be emotional. But like we believe that sometimes. We think like, no, I can't do that. I don't want to burden other people with what I'm going through. No, you are robbing another fellow believer in Jesus, the body of Christ, from being there with you, mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. <laughs> On top of that, you're not telling the truth. So that's the commandment. You are breaking. He says, do not lie. And you're lying. All right? <laughs> I'm not saying you got to air it to everyone, the person at the checkout line and on Facebook and everything. Like, you, you have your places where you tell people what's going on. Because when you do it, when you remove it from being just here and in your head, like, and you bring it into the light, what does it do? It loses its power. Yes. And then all of a sudden, you talk to someone and you realize, wow, I'm not alone. I'm, I'm feeling that too. I'm sensing that too. And then also, number two, God himself weeps. Only takes till Genesis chapter 6 that God looks at the earth and grieves in his heart that he made man. Then Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Then we see him, his, his good friend Lazarus dies. In the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So transformation, it always begins somewhere. And some, it might be starting 
of grieving and acknowledging what is really going on. The pain and the sadness of a national crisis, a personal crisis, a situation that you're going through. And some of us need to just simply stop and step back and grieve. Like we've been like, we're trudging through, we're making it through this year, we're going to do it, we're going to. And we haven't stopped and like grieved what we lost. Lost birthday parties, celebrations, we've lost time being together, we've lost friendships over divide of stuff, we've lost community, we've, lo- we've lost some stuff. Your work has changed. Your, 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 your surroundings have changed. And it's okay to grieve that. And you, what about the divide in our nation? Are we grieving that? Because like, I don't know about you, but I can like feel it in my stomach. Right? It's like just there. And like part of me like wants everything to be unveiled and show me the truth and show me what's going on. Like let me see it. And then I'm like, that might actually show a lot of corruption. Can we just turn a comedy on and turn it off? Right? Is anybody with me? Like, it's like, ah, oh. man, it makes, see, crisis has a way of, of assessing, like, our, our relationship with God. And, and, and normally, like, it causes us to even re-examine things that we thought were settled. Like, is God really there? Is he really good? Does he really care about me? Does he know my situation? Does he know what I'm going through and why and how? It's because crisis moves us. It moves us. It, it will not allow us to stay where we are. Crisis either crowds us closer to the cross of Jesus or it erodes our faith. It moves us. We can either move towards God or we can question God and what he's doing and move away from God, the community that he's put around us, and isolate ourselves. Crisis rarely, rarely, rarely leaves you in neutral. You're moving, but what direction are you going into? And I want to just speak to those that are watching online that we love you. We are here for you. And we do not want you to stay isolated. Please find ways to reach out, to connect, to be with the community in the body of Christ. So, Mordecai. His faith is coming alive. It seems like it was dropped off the radar. Now all of a sudden, his, this crisis woke him up. Esther, however, at this point in the story, she's unaware of the crisis. She's unaware that there's weeping and people wearing sackcloth in the streets because she's protected. She's behind the palace walls. She's unaware. She's not there yet. So what does she need? She needs someone to challenge her to make transformation happen in her life. Right? This is what this, this, this conversation between the, the unit going in and out and like sending messages back and forth. And it's kind of like a long thing. Like they're sending this and sending this. They're back and forth. And Mordecai's trying to convince Esther that like, hey, you need to help us and approach the king on our behalf. But Esther tells him, hey, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Like, hey, we've been married for five. Remember, this is five years now that they've been married. Five years we've been married and um, things are kind of cooling off. Yeah, he might have chose me out of all the other women, but I haven't seen him for 30 days. So there's some distance there. And then she says on top of that, unless the king invites you and you go to see him, he, if he doesn't give a scepter of grace out to you and receive mercy, you can die. It's like, that's what I've learned since being in the palace for my five years, is that he sits on his throne, and when he sits on his throne, we see that he likes to drink a lot, and he likes to not be interrupted. He likes to be in charge. He doesn't like people bringing bad news to him. He likes to sit there and control it. So what he's done, he's put together this plan that if you come to the king uninvited, you die, right? And like, there's actually this, this, this picture uh, that they found 
archaeologists found, and it shows this Persian king sitting on, a, on, a, on, a, on his throne, and there's this guy behind him with a great big axe, like just ready to lop your head off if you come in uninvited. And some of you guys are going, that's wrong but effective. Like, wow, like I'm in upper management, and people are always interrupting me and always walking in on me. And when I'm doing like, that's such a wrong, but man, I would get so much more work done. I wouldn't be interrupted. People wouldn't be like interrupting me like, man, is it really worth me losing my head to this, right? Like, no. Uh, anyway, so it's effective but wrong. Okay, um, so, but we see Esther starting to grow in faith and boldness. And we, we see that she's, she's being transformed because someone is speaking to her. You know, Mordecai calls it out. It's like, he like talks to her reluctancy of going to do this. And it's almost as like Mordecai is sensing like, Esther, you think that you're going to be safe, right? He kind of speaks like, oh, you, you think that you've hidden from him for five years that you're Jewish, right? That you're going to get away with this, that maybe you're going to escape this. And he says in verse 13, Mordecai said this reply to Esther, do you think for a moment that because you're in a palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed? If you keep quiet like this, I love this. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. How many of you guys need a friend that puts their finger in your chest? And being like, dude, you're making mistakes. You're not thinking clearly. You're doing dumb stuff. We need people, we need friends that, that, that will actually speak into our lives and say the hard things. You know, and unfortunately in our culture today, we have this idea that a friend will just trust you, will just believe you and support you no matter what you choose, whatever much you say. That's not a friend, that's a lackey, right? That's, that's not someone that's like actually helping you move forward. They're, they're not, you need someone that's going to speak into your life. That's going to challenge what you're doing and say the hard things and be willing to have the difficult conversation. And it's not fun to be that friend that's having the hard conversation. It's not fun to be the friend receiving the hard conversation. But I'm telling you, if you do it in love and grace, you actually, the relationship grows. There's greater trust and friendship when you speak those things into their lives. Because God God has prophetic voices that he wants to speak into your life. And it's hard. I remember I, I was in my 20s. There was two friends of mine. One I wrote a letter to and one I called. They were getting married. They'd, they were following Christ when they were younger. And they were marrying these girls that were just like, I just knew. Like, dude, that's not the one for you. It's not the one for you. And sometimes friends listen and sometimes they don't. One listened and said, yeah, dude, thank you. You're right. Another one went forward with the marriage. And two years later, they were divorced. If you have trusted, confident friends that believe in you and know you, listen to the hard things they say. So Mordecai challenges Esther in two specific ways. All of this, again, he, the, 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 remember, the, this book of Esther is like, this, it's like a literary genius that this person is using, this device that he purposely keeps out God in the story, so to speak, but yet the reality is God is all over the pages of it. Like he never says his name, never speaks of like other religious things but, and stuff, but it's, he's like working behind the scenes all the time. And he says like this thing like, hey, like remind you like, hey, maybe God has put you here for just this time. 
says, like, hey, consider, just consider how you got here. You didn't enter the bachelorette, bachelor contest and all this stuff, but you got it and you won it and you're there. And now you have a position of influence on behalf of God's people. Are you going to use your connections? Are you going to use your network? Are you going to use your resources to do something? Are you going to use your position? The second way he frames it, he's like naming God without saying God, but yet there's this new faith and confidence in God. And he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will rise from some other place. Man, that's just like this understanding of the sovereignty of God, that he is over it all, that he's got this. Like he will find a way, right? And I think it points out two things. Like it's this amazing thing is that God in his love, and his grace, and his mission that he's doing on the world, he invites us to walk alongside and accomplish his purposes on the earth. He offers us the privilege to come and join him in the mission, to come and be the people that speak truth to our friends and our loved ones. He invites us to come and serve kids and appoint them to Jesus. He invites us to come be a small group leader with youth kids and tell them about Jesus. He invites us to, to give to the mission of the church and supporting missions and, and bringing forth the mission and sending forth the gospel around the world. He invites us to be part of that so we'll experience great joy and we get to partner with God and we'll, we'll like celebrate like what we're doing collectively together. But if you don't serve, if you don't give, if you don't pray, if you're just like, you know what? I don't really, I don't really buy it. God will raise up someone else because his mission is going forward whether we get on board with it or not. Yes. Do we get that? Like, and guess what? Guess who misses out? If you don't serve, you don't give, and you don't be a part of it, you do. You miss out on the opportunity of being the, the joy of being salt and light and bringing and seeing salvations happen and life change happen. So God is, wants to use you where you're at, in your school, in your workplace, in your community, in your relationships. He has placed you there to, to, to speak to those hearts that are around you in those lives and those souls. But at the same time, the pressure's off because if you don't do it, he'll get it done. Okay, and you'll be the one missing out. All right, so Esther, she has this crisis, this challenge, this moment comes of like, am I going to step up to this? And Esther goes like, okay, the moment of truth, here it is. This is her defining moment. This is her moment to make it. This is this defining choice. She can either decide in this moment to run towards her calling and forever will know the name of Esther or run away from her calling. She can either decide to take her chances and bury her head in the sand and hope that she still has a head to bury in the sand. <laughs> but either way, she has to move. She has to make a choice. And fortunately, she makes a decision to trust God. Because listen, transformation never happens accidentally. No one accidentally becomes more godly. You have to make a choice. It requires intention. And Esther chooses to be part of what God is going to do. And she's all in. And what is the real? Like, automatically. She, like, automatically goes from this passive person that's been told what to do all this time to, like, boom, she's in her place. She's got confidence. And she starts making commands. All right, go tell those people to go pray and fast for three days. I'm going to get my maids doing the same. And then I'm going to go do this. And she says that famous line, if I perish, I perish. So Jesus, I mean, Jesus invites us into the mission, and we get the joy of it, and all of this stuff, and the privilege of it. It's our invite, but guess what? It's also 
going to cost us something. So count the cost. She's like, it, it might cost me something. I'm going to go walk in, see the king, even though it's against the law. And she goes. And she goes and prepares in prayer and preparation for three days. So today, I want, I, want to, I want to just kind of tie this back around and go, maybe you're here today. Maybe you're online with us today. And your life is in a crisis. Maybe, this, maybe, it's, maybe it's been the, the global, the national crisis, the, the global pandemic, the national crisis of division in our nation. Maybe it's been something personal in your house, whatever crisis you're going through. And if you look back and see it, and if you're here today <laughs> and you're listening, you might just be going, you know what? The truth of the matter is, I had known about God and know God was there, but I'd forgot about God. And all of a sudden, this crisis caused you to snap out of it. Go, oh, yeah, he exists. He's there. I, I need him like never before. And your faith awoken. Now, let me say this just because you're wondering, so does that mean that God did this pain, that God brought this pain, this issue that I'm going through? Is he causing it? Absolutely not. No Absolutely not. But is he using it? Absolutely. What man has meant for evil, God will turn it for good. Right? God did not have to cause Haman to be evil. Haman had evil covered by himself. He was good at doing that on his own. Like, I'm making up this plan. But listen, listen I just want to speak to that. Because like, some of you are there right now, and like, you're going, okay, I know where he's going. He's going to say God's going to use this and all this stuff. And, but you're really there, and you're like, I, I'm not sure if I really want a spiritual awakening right now. Because it's a lot easier to flip the TV off and turn it to the comedy and veg out, and let's get on the next miniseries and not pay attention to what God is doing in my heart. But yet I would say that God is there. Just as he's almost invisible in these pages of Esther, he's there, he's working, he's behind the scenes, he's faithful, he will never leave you. Esther, he's working quietly. And the story of Esther is about God saving the Jewish people. And he's over it all and he sees it all. I just want you to see this, how his sovereignty, what we just sang about, is so amazing. Even in the last century, there was the greatest horror of the Holocaust that happened against the Jewish people again. Hitler, Nazi Germany, wiping them out. This most devastating attack in Jewish history. And yet, from the ashes of the Holocaust comes the modern state of Israel was born. From a natural point of view, if you look at this naturally, that without the horrific, the horrific evil stuff of the Holocaust, it would have been really hard to gain the support of the United Nations to recognize the Jewish state. Now, of course, I, I, that is not to minimize the horrors. That's not saying that God caused the, ho the Holocaust. That, that simply reminds us that God brings good out of evil, yes. out of darkness. That is who he is. Think about the greatest crime of humanity. The greatest crime committed by humanity was that the very Son of God came and lived amongst this earth. The Son of God, fully God, fully man. And what did we do? We nailed him to a cross. 
and crucified him. But without the cross, there's not the resurrection. Without the cross, there's not salvation. There's not redemption. Who could only see that happening? The God who sees it all. Isaiah Isaiah 46.10 says this. I'm sorry I didn't get it on the screens because I just put this in this morning. I make known the end from the beginning. My ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do that all that I please. God is infinite. He is above all. He sees it all from the beginning to the end. And I want you just to take peace in whatever crisis you're going through right now, that you can take comfort that he is infinite steps ahead of what we're walking through right now. I want you to give it. So nothing takes God by surprise. This week did not take God by surprise. This week, how many of you this week? Wow, holy roller coaster of emotions, right? How many of you just like wanted to take a nap but couldn't even sleep, right? All week long, back and forth, questions of who's going to win this election. And after yesterday's news, many are, 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 are going, many Christians, believers in our church and, and in our critical community, many on all things are like, putting out a sigh of relief, celebrating. Maybe even, maybe if you didn't vote for Biden, you're like, okay, we crossed the finish line. And people are like longing for a breath to take, a breath of relief. That's some, while others are still a little bit like head scratcher, like dazed, confused, like speculating what's going on, what happened, where are we at? And I want us to remember that no, make no mistake, no matter what side you're on, no matter who you voted for, we are still in the middle of a national crisis. And not the, not, not, not the coronavirus. We're in a national crisis of a divided nation. And as I was watching news last night, seeing what's on TV and praying and up late, talking to some other <laughs> mentors and friends and going, my gosh, how do you, what do you say to a, a nation that's divided? And it's been the phrase, a divided nation needs a united church. A divided nation is depressing. A divided church is devastating. We must stay united. We must stay on course of what God is saying. And I, as I was just like <sighs> praying last night, I feel like in a sense that there's this, what we're sensing in this moment is still a calm before the storm. We have been waiting, many of us have been waiting, going, let's get to the election and everything's going to be good. Others are going, let's wait till we flip the calendar to 2021 and then all the problems are going to go away. But I'm telling you right now, what, we are, what I am sensing, and you can test this, what I'm sensing in the spirit is that we have a false sense of peace right now. Yeah. A false sense of peace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about, this is about the Lord's return, the Lord's day, him coming back. And he says this in verse 3, he says, when pe- again, I didn't put this on the, this, this came this morning. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as pregnant woman labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. 
You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We do not belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Now listen, I am not saying that like, okay, the rapture is happening tomorrow. That's in God's hands and all that stuff. But I'm saying that we need to, we have prayed probably more than I've ever seen in my gener- my lifetime of this for election. Prayed for our nation more than ever. And we kind of feel like, okay, we're done. No, we need to stay alert. We need to keep on praying for our nation. We need to keep on praying for unity. We need to keep on praying for justice to roll like a river in this nation to flow, to bring these things to light. And yet we're in this super awkward moment. Right? As believers. Because the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And some are rejoicing and some are mourning. How do we do that? Because some are rejoicing and they, I can take a breath. And others are going, I can't take a breath. There was a crime committed. So how do we walk through the days ahead? Say that we do this. We keep on remembering that God is over it all. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's not, his plans are not thrown off by what's happening. So, good. so what does this have to do with the election? Because I know you guys. <laughs> I know that there's a lot of us still thinking, so let's just jump into it, the weird, awkward stuff of the what-ifs. What if there was a massive corruption taking place in a presidential election? What if, let's say, the pollsters were intentionally biased? Let's say that big tech, big money are all working against Trump. Let's say that, that as this become, if, this be, if this becomes un. un opened up and seen right now like of what we're sensing and feeling and, and it's put out there and, and it leads to an all-out war on the streets. But at the end, it exposes corruption to a level like we have never seen before. So we say, shine the light brightly and let the darkness be exposed. Let it shine. On the other side, to the church, to the Christians, because this is, and in a church that believes in the Holy Spirit, believes in prophetic words and all this, to the other side, what if, what if the corruption, the darkness is being grossly exaggerated? The light will expose the church's gullibility, our willingness to believe almost anything, anything, for our own prosperity and blinded by our own comfort and bias. Let him bring that. That we will no longer, whatever it becomes, that we will not be seduced by our own desires, our own false idols that we built up. Either way, the light exposes on both sides. And for some that feel the Biden-Harris is the change that our nation needed. And you're going, okay, here we go, new leadership. A large majority of your other brothers and sisters are scared to death of ideas of the radical left. Those are just, this is where we're at in our world. So go play that out to the worst that it could go. The worst that could happen 
is that we lose our religious freedoms. Okay? If we take this to the end, like to the first thing, we lose our religious freedoms. And then all of a sudden in America, it costs you something to be a Christian and it costs you something to stand up for Jesus. And we have seen that COVID crisis has begun this spiritual desperation in people that are hungry for it. And I could see, if it went that way, even a greater spiritual desperation in people of God of going, we need this, we're holding on to it, that brings forth a great revival. Either way, God is over it all and his plans are not thrown off. Either way. And so we're in this current moment. We're like, what's happening next? We're leaning in. Like Esther's story. What's going to happen next? This crisis. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And it continues to pull us in. But it brings us back to the, to the heart of the crisis. What's the crisis all about? Is that God saw the crisis of his people. And he saw the crisis and he saw the challenge and his own son said, I will step up to the challenge. And we celebrate a God who saw the crisis and stepped in. He saw that we were sheep without a shepherd. He saw that sin had separated us from, the debt of our sin had separated us from our father. And he made a choice and he decided on his own decision to come and pay the debt of our sin. The spotless lamb of God came and gave his life in my place. And as the result of that, we become the children of God. And he becomes our father. And he gives us a confidence that no matter what the world throws at us, we can have a confidence that God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And he has become our great mediator. Just as Mordecai couldn't get to the king, he needed a mediator. He needed Esther to go on his behalf of a doomed people. Jesus becomes our mediator between us and God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. And that is who we celebrate and that's who we go after. So let's stand up together. I think the, the team is around here. We're going to sing that song, None But Jesus, one more time. And I know that it's emotions everywhere of what we're feeling. But we don't have to. And I said, yeah, feel your emotions. Grieve. But at the same time, just like the Psalms, they acknowledge the pain. They acknowledge the hurt. And then they what? They lift their eyes. And they remember who our God is that he sees the beginning to the end, that he has fulfilled all things, that he has done all things on our behalf. So Lord Jesus, I thank you right now, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we do just pray, Lord, that you start with us of shining your light and exposing things in our hearts, in our minds, Lord Jesus, and, and that we've held on to as, as false idols, Lord Jesus. Lord, expose here. Expose the darkness in our world, Lord Jesus, so that your light might shine. And Lord, above all, keep your church focused on you, united around you. Lord, that no matter what, you saw what came, and you saw what's coming.
and you're not thrown off, Lord. So, Lord, we do just trust in that, Lord God. We know that you are above it all and through it all and still working and moving. So, Lord, we turn our eyes and we fix our eyes to you again. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.